This podcast is brought to you by The Empowerment Project. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. We'll hear stories from survivors and find out what worked for them and why. We'll interview leaders in the field and talk about tips, concepts, and really easy things that you could do to make yourself safer and interrupt the cycle of violence. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Ultimately, I'm going to want you to get some in-person training, but a great empowerment self-defense class is more than just the physical skills. The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Welcome back, listeners. I am so glad you're here. Today's episode is about one woman's journey from early assault into empowerment. I want to forewarn you that there will be stories that they might be hard to hear. There's going to be a lot of good stuff, too. Of course, the healing and the growth. But sometimes just hearing someone else's story can, it can start to feel familiar. Sometimes hearing what happened to another person can cast a new light on something that happened to you. You might see that something you were minimizing was actually an assault. This can be hard, and it can bring a reckoning. So just keep reminding yourself that you are not alone. The reason my guest and I are here today is because we both believe that through survivors telling our stories, there is community, there's healing, there's connection, and ultimately there's empowerment and strength. My guest is a survivor and has embraced a journey from darkness and shame into light, into empowerment and service to others. She's helping to create a safer world for everyone. As you listen, do the things we talk about. Pay attention to your body, take deep breaths, and stop listening if you need to. You can always come back later. You taking care of you is essential with this episode. By the way, paying attention to what's happening for you and taking care of yourself does not make you weak. It makes you courageous. And now I get to introduce Julie Ballou. Julie produces a podcast called Rape the Podcast. It's about how her town, Springfield, Missouri, responds and supports, or doesn't support, victims of sexual assault. It's a really good listen, and without giving away too much, her investigation has had a really positive impact. Her hope, as she dug around and spoke with lots of different people, was to keep her town accountable so that survivors will have better experiences in the future than they were having when she first started. Julie, it is great to have you here. Did I leave anything out? Is there anything else you want to say about yourself? Um, I I think you covered it. I, I think that uh, your introduction of me is something I want to take with me and repeat to myself every day now. So I can remind myself that I'm also courageous. So you 
are courageous. <laughs> it takes so much courage for you to sit here and talk with it me does. today. And I'm so grateful to have you. And our listeners are grateful. And it's really wonderful. So thank you in advance for being here. You're welcome. Ooh, so um, let's start talking about your story. Julie, your story, as you shared it with me and shared it on your podcast, starts pretty early. It's seven years old. Can you describe what happened to you? I think so. Um, okay. I remember a day when uh, there were some cousins of mine that were at the house, and I believe all the adults were gone, and uh, one of my cousins uh, got started roughhousing with me, and uh, next thing I knew, I was on my back on the floor, and he was on top of me, and he was grinding on me, which is something I had no idea what was happening, uh, but... I I think I liked the attention, first of all, and then the feelings that it stirred up in me, I thought were amazing. And uh, it, it, it didn't last long. There was no, um, there were no clothes removed or anything like that. It was simply just him grinding on me. And so I don't believe that I thought there was anything wrong with it. I didn't occur to me to tell anyone about it. I wasn't alarmed in any way. Uh, I thought it was kind of a neat secret between my cousin and I. So that's, I think, what started some feelings that I, I didn't know how to navigate. I was probably seeking attention, seeking love, seeking people who would want to spend time with me and make me feel the way that my cousin made me feel on that day. So it, it was all sexual and there were people in the neighborhood that I eventually, you know, kind of experimented with them as well. And over the years of before I became a teenager, I I can't even remember all of the poor neighborhood kids that uh, I remember showing my, taking my pants down and showing them what I had down there and uh, asking them if they wanted to experiment, experiment with me. And uh, it just, it seemed like to me, like a normal, natural thing. And I thought all kids did it. I really right. did. You, when you were talking with me about it earlier, you like, thank you for sharing that story. It's almost like it set off a cascading series of events for you and feelings. You you shared with me uh, when we talked on the phone that you were, a, I think you said you were a horny kid, um, like always on the lookout for sex. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about how incest or sexual assault at an early age can sexualize a person. And there's a name for it. Uh, this early trauma can lead to something called trauma bonding. And what that means is that uh, the victim internalizes what happened as caring and love and attention, which can lead and often leads to a whole pattern of future abuse. It's quite common, actually. 
And when you shared your story, that's what it made me think about. And I, I know this is a hard topic to discuss. And so, again, I just got to say thank you for sharing your story so generously with me and my listeners. And listeners, again, just remember to take care of yourselves because this is some really hard shit to hear. Breathe, stop listening, call a friend. But back to you, Julie, can you share a couple of instances that illustrate how this works or how it worked for you? Like, what are some other relationships you had? You talked about then going on and seeking this and sharing yourself and being sexualized and how, yeah, if you, you know, some stories that that you would feel comfortable sharing how this realized itself in in your life? Well, on the Rape the Podcast, I tell the story of what I thought was my first sexual encounter. Um, I just didn't count the ones before, I don't think. And they didn't matter to me. But I, uh, so at the time I was 12 and I was in love with a lifeguard who was 17 and uh, I talked on the phone with him for hours about sex and what it was going to be like when we had sex. Can and, I just interject something? Yeah. So you're you're 12. Yeah. And he's 17. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. It's weird now that I look back. But at the time, I just thought, well, obviously, I'm an adult now and I can right. handle all of this. And I... Sh- you know, should be uh, desired and wanted by much older men because I looked older too. I developed very early mm-hmm. and I, I flaunted that to <laughs> as much as I could. But um, anyway, that summer we had gone to uh, Florida to see some relatives and uh, different relatives and the ones from when I was seven and uh, went out to I was allowed to go to a high school dance with my other, with one of my cousins and uh, still feeling like, Oh wow, I'm getting to hang out with all these older kids and and they don't even notice that I'm 12. You know, Um, I started flirting with a boy and uh, he talked me into leaving the dance and going outside. And uh, we started making out And then it got kind of rough and he turned me around and he, uh, he took me, he went in from behind on, uh, to me. So, uh, that was a surprise because that was not something I really knew very much about. It was the eighties. So, um, anal sex was not something that was discussed in any way, shape or form by anyone that I knew of. So I thought, Oh, maybe he just got the wrong hole or something, but still I froze. I just froze. I didn't ask for help. I didn't do anything about it. I just let it happen. And I remember, uh, going home and looking at myself in the mirror and just thinking, okay, this is it. I'm an adult now. This is, it's, it's for sure. This is game on. I'm no longer a virgin. Uh, and the 17 year old boyfriend, I told him about it. I thought he would want to hear this story for some reason. And he was a little upset because he wanted to be my first. 
anyway. Yeah, I want thank you for sharing that story. And there's there may be more, and I don't want to interrupt, but I do want to remind everyone to take a deep breath because mm-hmm. that is kind of it's hard to hear. Yeah. And um and the and from my self-defense teacher perspective, I just wanna I just wanna mention that freezing everybody is is a response of to trauma and it's a response to sexual assault and violence. The fight, flight, or freeze response is a very instinctual response and freezing is something that we often do and there are, and it's there's nothing wrong with it there you didn't do anything bad or wrong it's a reaction and it comes from our lizard brains and it's a common response and so i just wanted to mention that and normalize it a little bit like that happens a lot there are things that we can do and we do them in self defense classes to learn how to respond differently. It has a lot to do with breathing and other grounding techniques. But but what you describe, Julie, has happened millions of times. So thanks for sharing that. And I, I, I don't want to interrupt you. So was there anything else about that story you wanted to share? Only that I didn't, I told some friends, uh, but I certainly didn't report it to my parents or anybody uh, older that could have done anything about it. And, uh, that has always plagued me as to why I didn't think it was wrong enough to, to tell anyone about, I was, gosh, was I proud of myself? Almost. I was excited about this new part of my life where I could manipulate boys and men to, uh, to want me. It just was a, a feeling that I think I sought out after that happened every day, every day. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't ever find what I was looking for. I never manipulated a, anyone into loving me or having a relationship with me. So that was what I was seeking, though. That is definitely what I wanted. I wanted to be loved. Right. That's what we all want. And, you know, your early experiences just led led to this uh, feeling that this behavior, that this is how it happened. And you didn't have adults in your life who were helping you figure that out. And, uh, And I'd love to talk a little bit about the adults in your life if you're ready to do that or if there's another story that you oh, feel no. comfortable sharing. Or... Let's, let's talk about my family. Okay. <laughs> so I'd love to have you, um, again, gosh, you know, the courage that it takes to share these stories is so awesome. And, and Julie, the other thing I want to say is as we share these stories and you know, this, as we share these stories, we're, um, in, in this vulnerability and this courage, we're reaching out to others and, and, and creating connection because we're not alone. There are other people who experience these kinds of things mm-hmm. and are currently. And so for you to share your story means there might be someone listening who 
who starts to think about what they're doing and how their life is going and things that have happened in a new way to create a different path forward into empowerment. And that is so healing. So thank you again. So if you could um, talk a little bit more about your family, like did you ever tell your family about things that were happening or at some point was there something that happened that you did share like with your mom, for example? Um, And I know that there were because you mentioned that she didn't believe you, but could you tell us what that was like? Tell us like a little bit about what that whole experience was like. Well, I just know that I, as a mother now myself, that I'm quite sure she had to know something was going on. She had to know that I was behaving this way. Um, I mean, hours on the phone with, did she know who I was talking to? Did she hear what I was talking about? Did she know why I was sitting out in the driveway when I would come home from dates for a half an hour afterwards? Did she, but I mean, she was definitely strict. She's uh, very, uh, very religious and uh, very also protective of her reputation. And so the idea that our family wasn't perfect was, is, is the last thing in the whole entire world that she wants to get out. She doesn't want anyone to know that we had any problems. So, uh, and I was the perfect daughter. So I, um, you know, I wasn't going to tell her what I was doing because I knew that would just lead to huge fights. We, we would get into physical fights too, when I was, a teenager. Um, and, and it was about, you know, me staying out too late or sneaking out of the house. And, um, I just, it wasn't about sex. It, the fights were not about my, uh, respect for myself. The fights were about, gosh, if someone finds out about this, they're going to think I'm a horrible mother. And mm-hmm. so I spent, the majority of my life really hating her mm-hmm. and uh, never felt like she deserved to know the real me. And so, um, so and my dad too, I, I never, I don't understand. And he's passed, but I just don't understand why he didn't step in and do anything. It was just, was it total ignorance or, or was it just, if they don't see it, they don't, have to think about it. I don't know, maybe a combination, but, um, you know, the, the family, my friends, they all knew what I was doing. I boasted about this kind of stuff to people. So how come that never made it back to them? I just, you know, I know how people talk. <laughs> I right. have families gossip and, uh, or, or at least want to pretend no one wanted to protect me. No one mm. wanted to stand up for me. And, say, this is, this isn't right. I didn't know it wasn't right because no one told me. Right. You didn't know. And no one was stepping in. And denial is a really strong response Mm -hmm. to things that are uncomfortable and to, you know, you know, who knows what their own shame, their own um, insecurities, their own, uh, you know, whatever. But, 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 Did you actually ever tell your mom or your dad, like, this happened to me? No. No. Um, I mean, they probably knew about some 
a few instances of of a boy's sleep, you know, getting frisky with me. But it was never about, oh, you shouldn't be having sex because you're too young. It was, that was never discussed. And I never, okay, so I got pregnant though when I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was, and then the cat's out of the bag. But uh, there was a lot of shame and blame to go along with that because uh, decided to give the baby up for adoption. And I was basically kept in the house for the whole entire pregnancy without being able to go to church or see friends. I uh, wasn't allowed to go in the front yard. And uh, I did get a I, I did get a job at McDonald's, but it was like three towns away. And uh, that way she felt comfortable that no one would run into me and see me in this condition. Uh, so that was hard. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And you mentioned the shame and the blame. It's like such an integral part of uh, these experiences that many of us have have shared for whatever reason, but they're this shame that keeps us quiet, that keeps us from talking, that keeps us in this secret land of, and you know, just, yeah, shame yeah. and not sharing and not, not telling our story, not being honest with other people. And that's why I am at the point, and I don't want to skip ahead too far, but that's why I'm where I am right now because uh, I realized the, the power of breaking through that shame and and telling people about it because we I am finding that everybody else has similar stories. Well, let's just jump ahead because <laughs> um, you said something really beautiful when we were talking on the phone in advance of this interview. You said exposure of vulnerability leads to healing and empowerment. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. And Brene Brown, who is an author that both of us adore. I probably wrote, stole it from her. So, <laughs> Well, who knows? But <laughs> she wrote, shame derives its power from being unspeakable. That's why it loves perfectionists. We're so easy to keep quiet. If we cultivate enough awareness about shame to name it and speak to it, we've basically cut it off at the knees. Just the way exposure to light was deadly for the gremlins, language and story bring light to shame and destroy it. And so here's a shameless plug for the work of Brene Brown. Uh Like, read her, um, listen to her podcast. Julie, can you tell us? I mean, let's talk about it. Tell us about your podcast and how it came to be and anything else you want to talk about. Okay. Well, I... um I did want to back up just a little bit because uh, being a mom and raising twin daughters, uh, and now I also have twin stepdaughters. So I have a collection of girls mm-hmm. that are uh, in my family that I love so much. But uh, when I was raising them, and they, it, I think that when they started to turn seven, when they got close to that age, is when all of this dawned on me that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. When I saw what a child looks like and acts like and what they know at that age, I realized, oh my gosh, I wasn't an adult. I wasn't mature enough to handle all of this. And it wasn't my fault. So um, that 
that was an important realization in my life. But that's a huge breakthrough. Having all of those girls in my family um, to to want to protect and um, and I raised my daughter so completely different than my mother. I did basically whatever my mom did. I did the opposite. <laughs> and I feel like I did a good job, but I uh, had heard the story on CNN about rape kits being destroyed, and uh, over uh, you know a couple hundred rape kits were uh, from Springfield, Missouri, where they just tossed them in the trash. And uh, so when I heard that, like one in six American women are have been sexually assaulted, I started counting the women in my family. And I went, okay, good. Well, I'm the sixth. Then let's make Mm. sure that nobody else has to deal with this. And uh, so I, but I I felt like it was uh, an important topic to stay on top of. I wanted to know what had happened. I wanted to know if we were fixing this problem so that if my daughters were sexually assaulted, that they would feel comfortable in reporting it. Because I know that that was kind of the, the, the story that I kept hearing over and over again from other victims is that what's the point in telling the police when that's just going to make everything worse. So I, I just, I'd wondered if the police knew that, if, <laughs> if that was mm-hmm. something they'd even considered, cause that part wasn't covered in the story and not even on the local news here. I, I checked out all of their, uh, stories coverage of the CNN story and they interviewed people from me Too Springfield, which was great. And, uh, they were very open about, you know, how telling your stories can help heal you and how hearing other people tell the stories can also help heal you. And I just, I worked in radio for a quarter century. So I had a lot of experience working with audio and stuff. So I had been looking for a topic to cover on a podcast. So this was it. This, this was, I mean, a big bang, just, Oh, I've got to do this. It's, it's really scary. It's really important though. And, uh, and I wanted to do something important. So that's, uh, I started with the CNN story. I contacted the reporter. She wasn't really cooperating, didn't want to have anything to do with a podcast that had not already been published and didn't know, you know, what kind of work I was going or what I was going to say or how it was going to come out. So I kind of understand that. Then I started reaching out to, uh, people that I had heard were assigned to a sexual assault task force that Springfield, Missouri had put together. So that's good. Okay. We have a task force. What is the task force going to do? Um, So I just started talking to the city council members and some of the advocates that were on the task force. And I reached out a million times to our police chief, who um, at first he was open to it. And then he told me no. And then I ran into him at an event and I introduced myself and I said, are you sure you don't want to, you know, Mm. represent the police department? Because, you know, when you, well, he was very nice and he said, yeah, why don't you call next week and we'll try to set something up. And then like, I don't know, six months later, we finally uh, were able to put together an interview and, uh, he was really nice. You know, it was, 
such a relief to hear how much he cared in his voice that people did trust the police. He wanted to be trustworthy and he wanted us to hold him accountable. So that was really great news. And just working through the story, I found out that the the police had actually been on top of that problem way long before the CNN story even came out and had uh, started, he, the police chief was on uh, another task force of other police chiefs from all over the country. And their goal was to make it a better experience for victims to report their rapes because they started realizing Remember when they caught the Golden State Killer through the DNA mm-hmm. sample? They yeah. they realized how important DNA is in catching other rapists or the, the same rapist, but other you know someone who's attacked someone multiple times. And so, I mean, those people are a problem. <laughs> so you they, think? Yeah, <laughs> but the the fact that uh, uh, that rapists are generally uh, going to do it again too. That all of this information was just bothering me beyond uh, anything because I didn't know about this my whole life. I didn't know that all of this information until I went looking for it. So I was really pleased to be able to give a platform to the fact that uh, we have people, city leaders, especially in this town who definitely care and they're invested and they're going to make sure that they do everything they possibly can to make it better for victims. I mean, as far as learning how to be trauma informed and talking to a person uh, who's just gone through something like that and learning how to talk to them and not blame them and not ask them what they were wearing. I mean, they even went so far as to make special rooms for victims to uh, feel comfortable in, they uh, from the paint on the walls to what kind of chair they're going to sit in, all of that was was researched and thought through, and made just to make it a better experience. So uh, I didn't know that stuff was going on, which is why I was so pleased to to find that out and and tell people about it because I think that would make a huge difference for someone who's just been raped and is thinking, should I report this to the police? Are the police going to do anything? Are they going to believe me? And so it sounds like they are going to be believed. At least in Springfield. Yeah. And, you know, and here's like, can everyone please just do that? Every sheriff's department, every police department across the country. Can you please do this? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's called Julie. It's definitely being talked about by other uh, departments and all over the country. I mean, it's, it's a new thing. It's trauma informed is a buzzword. And uh, they they're throwing it around everywhere now. So uh, I know that there are definitely still places where this hasn't even been thought of. And that's why we need to continue to talk about it and let people know that there is a better way and that it's working and that you can do it too. I'm going to tell my listeners again, the name of your podcast is Rape the Podcast. And 
I will put a link to the podcast in the description of this episode. And then also just a reminder, we have a Facebook group called The Empowerment Project on Facebook. And Julie's a member. So uh, feel free. I'll put a link there also to the podcast and feel free to go in and I'm sure. Is that okay, Julie, if anyone has some questions for you? Oh, yeah, it's a, for sure. It's a safe group. Cool. It's people who have answered our questions. But uh, if you're not part of the group, we want you. So go there and we share other success stories and, uh, you know, information and links from each episode. And so for sure, Julie will see you there. I just wanted to thank you for doing your podcast, because when I started doing research for this, I looked on every platform and I was not having any luck finding podcasts with this topic. So there's very few of us and that is really bothersome. So I want to encourage everyone else to make a podcast about this topic and find your own angle to follow and uh, just continue to talk about it. Yeah, the more we talk about this stuff, the more it comes to light and the more we can get things changed and moving and and make the world a safer place for everybody. Mm-hmm. And by the way, another plug for Julie is she edits podcasts. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know that about you, but uh, I will also drop a link to her um, website. It's called Chick Edits. Yeah. And she edits podcast. So if you want to start a podcast, you could be your editor. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. I'm encouraging people to make a podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. I edit podcasts by the way. Oh yeah. And by the way, just, you know, give me a call. Um, but thank you so much, Julie, for sharing your stories, for trusting us with them, for the work you're doing with your podcast and all the ways that you're making the world a better place. Do, um, before I say my final thank you, is there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't get around to talking about that you wanted to mention? Well, I, I've, I'm going through a tough week because, and I've put this all on myself. Uh, I want, I'm, I've done a press release about the podcast cause it's a limited series. There's only 12 episodes plus a preview episode. And I wanted to get it up on YouTube because I understand that a lot of people in countries where they can't get podcast that YouTube is where they go to hear podcasts. And it's kind of hard to put a podcast on YouTube, but you just use, you know, your image from your podcast and you can listen that way. So, um, I just, I, you know, I kind of keep track of the progress of how other countries are dealing with sexual assault and there's a movement there as well. It's not just here. Mm, so yes. I'm, I, I'm really glad. But I, I just wanted to continue that conversation and get it out there to, to the whole world. But um, so I've, I did a press release this week. I was going to send it to the local media that I was putting the podcast up on YouTube. And uh, I'm really nervous about it because, you know, getting on, I, I just am, I'm sure they're going to call me and say, hey, will you be you know, can we do an interview on TV and putting my face with the story and my name and I'm doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm still somewhat fearful and a little bit shameful of all of this. So I'm doing it because it's important to encourage other people to do it. And like you said, you know, bring light to this darkness so that the perpetrators, so that the future sexual assaulters 
don't think they're just going to get away with it because they think we're too scared to talk about it. From now on, we're talking about it. And we're talking about it. That's the message that I want to get out. I wish you could see my face. Uh, listeners, we are not on video. Uh, we're just <laughs> we're just on our mics in our separate homes, you know, 2,000 miles apart. But um, but my face is, has a big shit-eating grin on it because I so relate to you. A huge piece of empowerment is using our voices and telling our stories. And that is exactly what you are doing. And it's scary. I, you know, I had sleepless nights when I was thinking about this podcast myself. Mm -hmm. And the first time I pushed like post, I was like, Oh my God, why did I do that? (laughs) You know, know. like (laughs) it's scary. It's scary. And um, I just want to say the world needs to hear your voice. And so kudos to you for amplifying it. And the more we talk, like you said, I mean, the more we talk, the better things get. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for doing that huge deep breath. Thank you for having me on this, on your podcast. And uh, I know that I'm going to continue to follow you and uh, wish you the best of luck. And I'm going to follow you. And um, next time I'm in Missouri, okay, I'm yeah. going to give you a call. Give me a holla. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy, but it's very cool, and this is how it works. We're going to do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where it's embarrassing, don't worry. You can also just say it inside your head. Okay, so I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you do all the things that you do when there's a podcast? Like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? Communicate with me? review this podcast, like all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time.